So today, we are continuing our series that we've been calling The Upside Down Kingdom. And we all live in a natural world, or what we would call this worldly kingdom, Earth. But Jesus came and he established what we are calling the kingdom of God, or what he called the kingdom of God. Because you see, it had been prophesied for thousands of years before he got here that there would be this new kingdom. And so John the Baptist shows up and he starts to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near, it's coming. And then Jesus later on in Matthew 4, 17 begins to pick up that exact same message and he starts to preach, repent or turn in a different direction because the kingdom of God is near. And this kingdom that he's talking about, it would turn everything upside down. It would be upside down from anything that anybody had ever known. And I think that a lot of times, something that's missing in a lot of Christians' lives is the understanding of the rules and the laws of this kingdom that we are born again into. Too many times we're trying to apply rules from a physical kingdom into the spiritual kingdom that we're trying to operate into. And because of that, a lot of times things don't work. You see, sometimes the things, the reason that life happens to us and we don't tend to happen to our life like we're supposed to is because we're using the wrong rules. We are now part of the kingdom of God and the rules are upside down. It is not intuitive to the world that we were raised in a lot of times. The kingdom laws are totally different than the laws and the rules of the kingdom of this earth. And so the first week, we talked about one of the things that is foundational for this whole kingdom, that Jesus said that the greatest among you it will be the other's servant. It's upside down. And then last week, we talked about how God values us as kings and queens of the kingdom, that he has made us and, and sees us not through the filter of our sin, but through the filter of Jesus's blood, that we are valuable and loved by him, not because of what we do, but because of who Jesus made us to be through his death, burial, and resurrection, and as well as our dedication of our lives to him, that we are kings and queens, that he is the king of, he is the king of kings, that's us. And so if you didn't get either one of those messages, you can go back to our website or YouTube and catch up. Um, but today, we're going to get a little bit deep. I hope you're okay if we get a little bit deep today, because that's where we're going. And so at this point in our study about the upside-down kingdom, I think it's imperative and it's important that we begin to understand our authority in this kingdom of God that Jesus was exemplifying and teaching throughout the Gospels. And I think that it's very important that we understand that we are kings and queens which in this kingdom that we are royalty. But the problem is that many, many times we don't understand what our authority is as royalty. And when we do understand our authority, we don't know how to actually exercise it and bring it to pass. And so we're going to find a story in Matthew 17, and it's going to illustrate what, a, what, what we see in a lot of times in people's lives today. So Jesus is on the mountaintop with three disciples. They're coming down off the mountain, and he had left some of his other disciples down below. And so they're coming down, and there's a crowd at the bottom of the mountain. A man approaches Jesus, kneels before him, and says, God, have mercy on my son. Please know the word mercy. He says he has seizures and he has suffered greatly and, and a lot of times falls into the fire of the water. And the disciples could not 
heal him. And, but just a few chapters before this, Jesus had actually given the disciples actual authority to cast out demons. So the question becomes, why could they not do it? And so Jesus says this, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to be with you to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And then Jesus rebukes the demon and it comes out of the boy and he's here and he's healed at that very moment. But let's look back at what the dad says. He says, have mercy on me. Let me ask you a question. How do most of our prayers sound? God have mercy on me. We do a lot of times exactly what this father did. We go to Jesus and we ask him for mercy. God, can you please help me? And let me just say this, and I'll explain this a little bit later, is that that is a miserable place to be. When you don't understand what moves God, why God this does for them, this for them but not me, why God heals this person but not that person or even me, And a lot of times we feel like if we pray enough, if we could just pray enough or use the exact right words, or we could just ask God enough, that if we could repeat it enough, that God will suddenly have mercy for us and come through for us. And if God is a good God, shouldn't he always come through for us and heal us? But then when it doesn't happen, then we question God. And this is a horrible place to be as a Christian. And Jesus doesn't want us there. So he's, the father says, you know, he says he, the demon's throwing him into the water and the fire and he's, and he's having seizures and he's trying to convince Jesus how bad it is so Jesus will do something. And Jesus, understanding kingdom authority, he took authority and the demon left. But also, he knows he's going to be leaving soon and he wants to teach his disciples their authority, what authority they have, including us, and how to operate in it. So he gives them two reasons why this demon didn't leave. One is unbelief, no faith. We understand that. But the second one, he says that they're perverse. In other words, just accepting the fact that it won't leave. A lot of us, we base our theology based upon our experiences of what happens and doesn't happen as opposed to what the Bible says. Listen, the promises of the Bible are yes and amen. If the demons are supposed to come out, they're they're supposed to come out. And if they don't come out, which is with this situation, there's always a reason. And it's never that Jesus doesn't want to help us. And this is the point that I want to make, that Jesus didn't come to the earth just to heal and help people. He also came to teach those, his disciples, who he would delegate authority to, how to do it. In fact, there's a whole nother story where he actually finds somebody who understands how this authority works. And so we get a picture of this in this account that Jesus had and an experience that Jesus had with a man who sought him out. And Jesus would stand up and he would tell everybody that was around and everybody that was following him, including his disciples, he would point this man out that he had never seen such great faith in all of Israel. And the reason is because this one man He understood kingdom principles and laws that Jesus was doing his best to teach and show his disciples. So I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. It says that when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion comes and asks him for help. My servant lies at home paralyzed and is in terrible suffering. And then Jesus says, I'll go and heal him. But the centurion stops him and says, no, no, no. I don't deserve for you to come to my, under my roof. Just say the word from here and they will be healed. Now, 
what this Roman centurion would have understood is the actual government and the governing of a kingdom. Now, he wasn't part of a kingdom. He was part of what they called an empire. You see, the Roman Empire was an actual group of countries. The difference between a kingdom and an empire is simply that a kingdom is one country ruled by a king or a queen, but an empire is a group of countries that is under one ruler. And so although the kingdom of God is talking about we are not from different countries. We are all one country. We're not a group of countries. But the Roman centurion would ultimately serve a, an emperor, a Caesar, because Rome was an empire. But the laws and the understandings of government authority within an empire were very, very similar to the kingdom uh, government. And so when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and he's trying to explain to us kingdom rule, this Roman centurion, he proves that he understands it because he describes how it actually works. And what he's talking about is a chain of command within the empire that he operated in. And what Jesus is getting ready to explain is that that same chain of command works within the government of the kingdom of God. Now watch this, Isaiah 9, 6. This is actually a, a Christmas scripture, but it says that for us a child is born, a son is given, and the government... Now, obviously, this is not talking about an earthly government because that never happened, but that this government will be on his, Jesus's shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, once again, and peace, there will be no end. He's going to reign kingdom on David's throne over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice, which is law, and righteousness, which is law, from that time and then forever. So the law of this kingdom is going to uphold whatever is right from that time and forever. You see, here's the picture. There is a government. See, we think in terms of just God. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. But God is operating within the earth realm through a government, a series of rules of the kingdom of God. And a government implies law, justice. So the kingdom of God operates within this earth realm with laws and rules. In other words, there are things that allow things to happen and hinder things from happening. In other words, a law of gravity. We're not floating off our chairs right now because of the law of gravity. If you wanted to float, you can't because there is a law that's actually hindering you. Now, in the same way, your lights are on because of uh, the law of electricity. And we've actually learned to harness those laws and use those to our benefit. We've taken them and we've experimented. And now we actually tap into those laws. So, in the same way, what people miss with the kingdom of God is that they all think that God, watch this, God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. But see, God says in Psalm 138 that he has placed his word, his laws, above his name. Now that word name in the Hebrew, it means being. So when God says, I have placed my word above my name or my being, what he's saying is, I have placed the word that I've mandated, the law of the kingdom, the government, above my own self. I will not violate my word. The government that I put in place in the kingdom of God, I will not violate my own will with my word. 
It says that he holds himself captive to his own words. God's not a man that he could lie. He holds himself to his word. And so also in Mark 6, 4, we get a story that illustrates this even more, that Jesus going to his own hometown, he said that he could not, Jesus could not do any miracles there except for a few healings. Now, it says that because he was amazed at their lack of faith and unbelief. So the question that we have to ask is that if Jesus had all the power, he was anointed, 100% God, 100% man, and he wanted to heal these people. See, everywhere he went, the answer for healing was never no. He healed people everywhere else, and he wanted to. But it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith that evidently limited his power and his will, actually. So how does that happen? How does Jesus' will become thwarted by man's unbelief? How does man's unbelief limit the very power of Jesus himself and actually what he wants to do? Now listen, I know I'm messing with a lot of your theologies here, but I'm just talking about the Bible, the scriptures. So faith and the execution of faith, which we'll talk about in a minute, is part of the governing laws of this upside-down kingdom. And it becomes obvious that the lack of faith, which is unbelief, can actually limit God in our lives. Yeah, God can actually be limited in our lives because of because he has limited himself to the, his word, the laws, the government that he put into place in this kingdom of God. And he'll never violate his own word. That's called lying. And he'll never do that. But believing is not enough in and of itself. Let's go to a scripture that most people have heard. It's a scripture, Romans 10.10, and it talks about salvation. It says, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. Now, justified is a legal term. It's talking about the kingdom. It means when our heart agrees with the promises of God and heaven, it actually becomes, it is legal for heaven to affect this realm. Heaven is backing you up on your faith. So if you have faith, but nothing has happened yet, it's because in your heart you're believing and justified, but it's not enough just to have that. It says, the next part is it says, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there is this two-punch combo where we are believed and are convinced in our heart, and then we speak with our mouth. And that is the foundation of this kingdom that we have. The very salvation that we have is based on this. And then when these two things happen, something supernatural happens, salvation. So when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth what we are in agreement with, heaven releases that. Something supernatural happens. Okay, this is the law and the government of the kingdom of God that Jesus is trying to explain to us. That heaven actually waiting on us. It's upside down. And this centurion understood this, that if you believe in your heart and you exercise your authority with your words, it's, see, this is at the very core of Christianity, of our very salvation, that we ex exercise our authority through believing and then speaking. You exercise your authority with your words. And this applies to finances, healing, anything that the Bible promises you in addition to salvation itself, that we have faith first and then we speak as a result of what we believe. And then at that point, heaven backs us up. Now, 
back to the story of the centurion, and then we'll tie all this back together. And remember, the centurion comes to Jesus, asks for his servant to be healed, and he says, you don't need to come under my roof, just say the word from here and my servant will be healed. And then he begins to explain what Jesus has been trying to explain to his disciples all along. Listen to this. He says, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. I tell this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, you see how many times he's talking about speaking? I say come, I tell him go, and he goes, and he does it. And Jesus, (laughs) he says about this Gentile, He says, I have not seen this much faith in all of the Jews, in all of Israel. And what he's referring to is that most of us want Jesus to come to us and to do it for us. See, that was their level of understanding. Most Christians beg God, have mercy on me. Do something about my situation, Jesus. Jesus, will you come and will you fix this? Will you help me? But this centurion, he understood kingdom authority. He understood the upside down kingdom and how things operate in a kingdom. And so Jesus says, I have not seen this level of understanding. I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. This man understood authority. He was under authority and he knew how to direct authority that was given to him as well. And I want you to notice that it wasn't the centurion's authority. Because when you're under authority, your authority in a situation is not from you. It's delegated authority that you stand in. It flows through you. And that's very important for us to understand as well. So what I want to do is look at a few verses just to back this up. Matthew 16, 19 says, Jesus says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here's the thing, we've got to understand this, that whatever we loose or bind through faith and are speaking, heaven actually backs that up. Mark eleven twenty three. 23, it's why Jesus says this, trying his best to explain this. Anybody says to this mountain, not begging God or asking God or to have mercy on him, but speaking to the actual mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen that what he says will be done for him. You see, we have the delegated authority. And when we, we put this two-punch strategy into place, faith with confession and speaking, Jesus says we can have what we say. But most Christians pray for more power. God, I need more power. If we want to heal somebody, God, send your power. Reach out your hand, and we need more anointing. Actually, you don't. Because the Bible says that whatever you bind on earth will be bound on all of earth. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed and backed up by all of heaven. You see, we already have all the power of heaven backing us up. The problem usually is, is that most of us don't know how to release that authority and believe that we are actually in authority and under authority. And know that without a doubt, we are releasing God's authority. So many people are waiting for God to do it. God, please heal me. God, you do it. Listen, that's not going to happen. God is not going to heal you. He already has by his stripes. 
but you and I have been given authority, which doesn't take anything away from God's authority or sovereignty. We are his delegated authority. And we don't have that authority because we earned it or we are anything special within ourselves. Only because we are co-heirs with Christ. Kings and kings, kings and queens under the king of kings, Jesus. You see, faith can put you in legal position to exercise your authority. Faith and belief is that first step. It puts you in a position to exercise your authority, but then we have to step out, like Jesus said, and take authority with our words. But if we step out and we speak something, but we didn't actually have the foundation of faith for it yet, then we actually don't have the authority to speak that yet. It won't work. We have to get that faith in. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. And then it is important that we have both rules in effect. Faith makes us legal to have authority and our words are what actually exercise that actual authority. So, In this upside-down kingdom, how upside-down is it that you can have what you say if you believe that what you say will come to pass? How how upside-down is that? But this is why it's so difficult for us to understand it, because it's upside-down. How upside-down is it to say that God has given us power and authority, and because he gave us that power and authority, that humans' faith could actually limit the power and the will of God? But it happened. We saw it. But the question is, how much does it happen in our our lives? How much are we like the father of that demon-possessed boy that's asking God to have mercy on us and asking God to do things for us when all along the government of this upside-down kingdom has given the power and authority to us and in us with this two-punch system of faith and belief that the word of God is true and speaking and confessing that word? How upside down and backwards is that. But let me ask this question. What if? What if we as individuals, as Christians, got a hold of our authority in this upside down uh, upside down kingdom? What could we accomplish? Now listen, there's been a lot of abuse of these rules and these laws of this governance of the kingdom of God. There have been people who have used this to heap tons of riches and wealth upon themselves. And it's not that God doesn't want us to have what we need or be comfortable, but there have been people who have abused it. There have been people who have manipulated others because their understanding of faith and healing within this kingdom. And some of these people, it's actually possible that they don't even know Jesus. Because the Bible says that when we get to heaven, they might say, hey, I did miracles in your name, and I understood the laws of the kingdom and the governance of this upside-down kingdom, and I operated in it. I prophesied, and and I performed healings and signs and wonders, and Jesus was going to say, nope. I did not know you though. So there have been abuses of the laws of the kingdom. And and they've even given it a name, the prosperity gospel. Can I tell you something? There is no prosperity gospel. There is just the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom of God. And regardless of what we've seen in our experiences, uh, regardless of any abuses that we've seen, my faith is in Jesus, what he said, what he taught, and what he did. And that is that this upside down kingdom is ruled by kings and queens under authority of the king of kings. And that we have been given authority to exercise our faith and our solid belief 
that the promises are real by speaking those promises and seeing supernatural things happen so that we are in a better position to share the love of God and to make disciples. Not so that we can heap it upon ourselves, but this authority is the means to a very, very clear end, and that is the Great Commission, to share God's love and mentor others, individuals, in the faith. What would it look like, though, if an entire congregation weren't distracted by all the things that are flying at, at us right now, and we looked at things within our life, and we realized that the authority that we have Look, we're not helpless. We're not a victim of this world. In this upside down kingdom, nobody has any more authority over us than what we actually give them. You see, Jesus came and left, giving us the power and authority of the kingdom. And listen, he left the Jews under Roman occupation and in religious oppression in their country, in the natural realm. Look, in our country, we have to pursue justice and liberty for all but we can't limit ourselves to this natural realm. We fight a more valiant battle in the spiritual realm. So think about the different things in your life. What would it take to build your faith, to have the right to have God in heaven back you up, and then you speak to those things and watch them change because of your faith and because of your confession, because of your authority that God gave you in this upside down kingdom and that it was exercised by your words, spoken in accordance with your firm belief, your faith. 